Thanks be to God, indeed. Merry Christmas, our Lord reigns, amen? Oh, that's, we, he, has, he has come and he has, he has saved us, and that's what we get to celebrate today. My name is Dan Hammer, I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and, and Merry Christmas, and welcome to Harvest, and your family here. Whether this is your first time here, whether you've been here many, many, many times, you are family here, and whether you're in person or online, I'm just so thankful to have you joining us together today. We're going to continue in our Christmas series, the, uh, the mission, the message for the neighborhood, Christmas in the neighborhood, that's what it is. Uh, if you want to, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, uh, John chapter 1 beginning in verse 14 if you want to get a head start um, as we continue to get ready for Christmas. Now, who is excited about Christmas, right? Now, who is done with their Christmas shopping already, right? Woo! You know, I thank angels, I um, thank God for the angels who once pronounced the greatest gift of all time, and I also thank God for Amazon who gives us now the gifts so we don't have to go to the shopping malls and anymore. Praise God for that. Well, we are so excited about what God's doing here at Christmas. And again, I want to encourage you. You see invite cards on your seats. Um, This Saturday, we have a Christmas Eve service. two of them at four and six. It's a contemporary, family-friendly, candlelight Christmas service that you really don't want to miss. So I want to encourage you to take those invites and not just take them and use them as as placeholders, but give them out. I believe that there's somebody in your life, whether it's an Amazon driver or whether it's a neighbor, whether it's somebody in your school, whether it's in somebody at your work that that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so whether it's at this church or with another church, I just pray that you would encourage them to go to church. People are open to it in the midst of whether they are celebrating or whether they are hurting. They are open to coming and hearing about Jesus Christ on Christmas Eve. And so may we be inviting. May we be faithful in that. So I really want to challenge you and encourage you. There's still time. People will come. You know, you don't, don't say that they won't and don't invite them, but I really want to encourage you. We're going to have a testimonial video. It's going to be a great, great night together. We have child care for five and under. Um, so if you, if you want to try kids in there, if you want to have them in here, whatever, whatever makes you works for you. Just super thankful for that. And on Christmas Day, as we shared earlier, we are having church just not in this building. We're literally taking Christmas to the neighborhood, right? That's our series, so we want to do that. We're taking our worship service to your homes, um, to your living rooms, and to your uh, family rooms, and so we are going to have a Christmas message. We're, we're getting it done right now, and uh, excited about that, but just whenever works for you on your, on your morning of worship as we open presents so that we get to celebrate the greatest gift of all time in your living room, and so it'll be online. We'll email it out, a link as well, but really want you to take the, it's only about 20 minutes or so long, I um, want you to really take the time to really celebrate the main reason for the season, which is Jesus Christ, as we worship together with our family and friends in our neighborhoods, and maybe invite somebody over for brunch, right? And let's, walk, let's have church in my living room and, and have some brunch together as well. So we're super excited about that. We got some other things happening as well. One of them is this. We have an end-of-year giving campaign, right? It's called Fulfilling the Mission. Christmas is all about the mission, right? Amen. Jesus is the greatest gift, and he continues to give us uh, gifts on a daily basis. And so we have an opportunity to give back to Jesus a, a small portion of what he has given to us so we can advance the gospel. People need the Lord, right? In our neighborhoods, in the nation. So our challenge that God has put on our hearts as the leadership team is to raise $5,000 above and beyond normal tithes and offerings as generous givers in response at our heart of worship for what God has given to us so that we can help uh, just a new church plant that we're partnering with in Santiago, Dominican Republic, and also meet felt 
needs in our neighborhoods. And I'm so excited that our small groups have already been brainstorming about ideas for how to bless and love our neighbors. And so we just are praying that God will produce these funds and give these funds. And I believe that he will, and he'll use you and me. So would you please prayerfully consider, and I believe it's for all of us, not just some of us, but all of us, your best gift in accordance for what God has done for us, whether it's $10, maybe it's $100, maybe it's 1000 maybe it's 10000 It's all scalable based off of what God, where God has us. But it's about a heart of generosity to give your best gift above and beyond tithes and offerings. You can give it in the back in the offering box. You can give it online before December 31st. And anything, any dollar above 5000 will be used to help address our budget shortfall. We do have a current budget shortfall. And if you scan the QR code in front of you, it'll take us to our bulletin. If you're online, harvestannapolis.org slash bulletin. You can see at the bottom there or in the weekly newsletter where we are with giving. Praise God that the mission continues and we're about $10,000 behind our normal giving, our, our budget for the times being. And I, in November, God allowed us to meet budget through some of your gracious giving and some gifts from some family and friends. But we are a little bit behind and we're honestly, we're about decently behind in December so far. We've, we've $7,895 or so has been given so far of our $28,500 budget in December. And so, man, would God, would you just prayerfully consider what God might have you do to help really advance the mission to keep the, not to keep the lights on, God has blessed us in a lot of ways here, but to really, you know, just advance the mission here at Harvest. We all have a role to play. And if this is your first time here, man, you don't feel obligated to give, but if Harvest is your church home, would you please... Would you please prayerfully consider just giving yes to the end of the year, giving above and beyond, but also continuing or maybe beginning to give generously with your tithes and offerings on a monthly basis because God continues to give ministry opportunities, amen? There are lots of needs to be, to be met and we have an opportunity to do that because we have a generous God. Praise God, amen? And so let's be stewards. Let's be great gospel stewards and really just watch God work in big ways. Thank you for your faithfulness. God is so faithful and he has used you in huge ways. I wanna, I wanna share with you a story about the Christmas challenge that I received this week. And it, it's not too late to complete the Christmas challenge, right? And you see it in the back. You have cards there, and there's one right here with just different opportunities to love our neighborhood well. Our, our, one of our boys, I'll leave it to you to guess which one, is so motivated by the gift card that he is fired up. He's like, can I have the chocolate cup refreshments and go invite our neighbors to Christmas right now? Well, maybe tomorrow. It doesn't have to be done right now, but I love the heart right behind that. But here's a story from one of our, our, our church family members, and it came this week, and it, he and his wife were out and about, and they they share with me that they were not sure whether they would be able to participate in the challenge because of some current financial, just seasons of life struggles that they're having. But he said, we went to a restaurant and we ended up choosing to pay for another couple's meal that was there last week with the Christmas challenge. And they came over and thanked us and they shared with us that they were believers and that the husband was having significant health issues and that that, that sh- expression of love meant the world to them and just really encouraged them when they were in a really difficult place. And we got to pray for them. And it was by the grace of God that he empowered us to do it and was so humbling and loving. And they continued to share that lots of people love the cookies that we've made and the Christmas invites that we've given. God has blessed us through his grace to be able to show his love to those that are around us, even in the middle of our own financial struggles. It's been an awesome experience. Praise God. Amen. It's amazing to see what, what God does as we open up our hearts and respond through the grace of God to the generosity that God has given us. That passage, that, that, that story reminded me of a text in 2 Corinthians 9 that I just want to share with you because it'll lead us into where we're going to go in John 9 today, or John chapter 1 today. Paul is, is writing in 2 Corinthians 1 or 9, and he says this. He says, the point is this, and anytime Paul says the point is this, shouldn't we pay attention, right? Yeah. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not about guilt, it's about grace. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able, God is able, amen? Say God is able, right? God is able to make all grace, all grace, abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You might be like, my bank account's a little empty, but through God's grace, you have everything you need, amen? As it is written, he was distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It's a heart of worship that we give. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also an overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Generosity flows out of a heart of worship, right? By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you. Check this. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, grace is the means. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. And that's what Christmas is all about, the inexpressible gift that God has sent us in his son, Jesus Christ. And a heart that overflows with thankfulness should lead to a heart that overflows with generosity in every way, with our time, with our money, with our resources. So when you think about the Christmas challenge, this is not just a seasonal thing, it's a heart thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a worship thing. As you think about end of your giving in general, or how you use your time, may it be as an overflow of worship. Because what we're going to see today is we've seen this Christmas series in John chapter 1, that God has given us a mission field, amen? We saw that the first series in John chapter 1, verse 14, it's a neighborhood. He's given us a message in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that Jesus is the word, he's life, and he is light. He's given us a charge, the mandate to be missionaries, to be messengers, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And today, we're going to see that you might be like, okay, he's given me a mandate, he's given me a mission, he's given me a message, he's given me a mission field. How do I do this, right? Today, we're going to see that God doesn't leave you hanging, praise God, right? He gives us a means to accomplish his mission, and that is in one word, his grace. Grace. That is the means to accomplish the mission. How do I love my neighbor? Grace. How do I trust that God is going to provide for me so that I can live generously? Grace. Grace, by definition, biblically speaking in the Greek, means with unmerited favor. The Greek word is charis. If you ever meet a little girl or a grown-up girl named charis, 99% chance their parents are believers. 90% chance their parents are in ministry somewhere. Whether it's spelled with a C-H or a K. Grace. God's grace is something we don't deserve. It's something that we can't earn. But it's something that we can and should delight in. We can and should display. And we must declare. I know that there are many, many heavy things on your heart and in your life right now. My prayer today is that you would leave today understanding God's grace even more and receiving his grace to rest in it. And then being so convicted by that and encouraged by that that you want to share it because God's grace is as transformational as it is inspirational, it changes me. And it should inspire me as I remember God's grace and what he has done for me, how he has lavished and continues to lavish unmerited favor on my life, right? 
And when I remember that, I should seek to reflect that to all those around me as God continues to lead me and as he continues to guide me. God's grace changes us and strengthens us. It will carry us in in and through every situation. Here's a big idea for today, that God's grace is my source of eternal life and enduring hope. God's grace is my source of eternal life and daily enduring hope. Praise God for that, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace today. God, I thank you that you don't just send us and leave us, but you send us and you go with us that you empower us, that you embolden us, that you strengthen us. Father God, to just live the life that you have designed for us. Thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. Thank you for caring for us when no one else did. Thank you for making a way for us when no one else could. Father, we are in desperate need of your grace. And we are entrusting today the reality that you are just full of amazing and unconditional grace. Father, I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would change our lives as it resonates in us and may it reflect through us. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18 today. John chapter 1, 14 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. And we're going to start with the verse that kicked off this whole series. And we're going to concentrate today, though, on verses 15 through 18. But John 1, 14 through 18, this is the word of the Lord as, written by, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, as written by John the Apostle. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John more bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now I want you to, if, you, if you're one that writes in your Bibles, or maybe not, I don't know, but you circle under on how many times the word grace is in this passage, right? God's grace is our means. It is our source. It is our supply. And as we, we go each and every day, we want to focus on the reality that as we focus on verses 15 through 18, we see that God's grace is a means to accomplish his mission Verse 14, which is sort of the main clause of this text, so everything that comes after it sort of connects back to it, tells us, it describes the incarnation, which is God, the Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, becoming fully man. It's a process of him invading our world, not giving up his deity, but picking up humanity so that he can die on the cross of Calvary to, say, to pay for your sins and mine completely. Praise God, amen. And then, and then verses 15 through 18 talk about how his grace changes us and it sustains us. So today we're going to look at two daily applications of the incarnation. It's sort of like we talk about the incarnation. We say what? Today we're going to say, so what, right? What does the incarnation mean to me? What's the so what of the incarnation? How does this impact how I live at work or at home or when I'm at school? Man, it's, my, it's life-changing. The first daily application of the incarnation is this, anchoring my eternal hope in Jesus Christ's fullness. To choose on a daily basis to apply the beautiful truth from this text that I'm going to anchor my hope 
in Jesus Christ's fullness. Today in our hearts and in our neighborhoods, there's a shortage of hope, isn't there? I don't know how you walked in here this week, but while there's a shortage of hope, there's a surplus of hard, of heartache, and of hurt. More than enough to go around. Just in these past seven days, I sat, sat, and this is an incomplete list, and just thought about conversations I've literally had with different people. Topics included significant grief, deep loss, financial struggles, addiction, incarceration, child custody battles, physical health issues, multiple forms of cancer, including pediatric cancer with multiple relapses, struggling marriages, unexpected house expenses and projects, divorce, mental health struggles, job issues, addiction, diminishing health of loved ones, miscarriages, death, parenting, divisive politics, insurrection, abuse, broken relationships, prodigal children, church hurt, isolation, fears, adoption delays, discouragement, anxiety, depression, future uncertainty, the overdose of a 17-year-old who lost his life, and more. Just the past seven days. Hope can often seem harder to find these days than a tickle me Elmo in the Christmas of 1996. But here's John's point. In the incarnation is the invasion of hope. Into our hurt, into our hard, into our hurting comes the hope of Jesus Christ. That is the story of Christmas. Praise God for that. We don't deserve it, but by God's grace, his unmerited favor, he lavishes it upon us. Praise God. Hope today is the reality that no matter your external circumstances, that Jesus Christ came for you, he loved you, he died for you, he was raised for you, and he reigns right now over you in every single circumstance. Amen? That's hope. Hope is the confident expectation, biblical hope defined, hope, confident expectation of something good for the future, anchored in God's character, God's promises, God's actions, God's love, and God's power. That's hope. I don't know if something good's going to come tomorrow. I do. You just need to change our perspective. It's how you define good, isn't it? Because God's word says, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things... Work together for what? Good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, even when you get fired, even when you get broken up with, even when you get hurt, God will work in the pain to accomplish his purposes. And so there's hope in that. So we have to reshift our, our good, our focus on good from earthly comfort to eternal sanctification. So when I want my primary goal, goodness of life is, is anchored in becoming more like Jesus, then I begin to experience the grace and, and the mercy of God as he molds me and uses difficult things in my life to make me more like Jesus. The author of Hebrews writes about hope and he says this in, in Hebrews chapter six, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Anybody need that right now? In the storms of life? What is it you might ask? A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It goes deep. It drops its anchor deep and it will not let you go. Where Jesus has already gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Praise God. Amen. 
That hope where Jesus went and on the cross, the, the curtain was torn in two, where now we have direct access to God because Jesus as our intermediary, Jesus as our substitute, paid the price for your sin and mine. Restoring, that's hope. But man, the storms rage. Man, the seas swell. So how can we anchor in hope? This passage from John 1 gives us three anchors for our daily hope. Hope does not downplay or diminish the hard. Hope elevates, it exalts the deliverer. So we're not downplaying the pain. We're elevating the promise keeper. The first anchor for our daily hope is this, is that God fulfills all of his promises to me. All of them. Look at verse 15. John, John the Baptist, so John the Apostle, we talked about this last week, is writing about John the Baptist. He bore witness, that word means testify about him, him being Jesus, and cried out, this uh, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John the Baptist is a prophet, and right now he is saying, here is Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promise that I proclaim to you from God. He is the answer to the promise. He's the answer to your problems. Jesus Christ fulfills every single one of God's promises. That's 2 Corinthians 1. All of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Depending on how you count, Jesus actually, when you look at include Old Testament prophecy, Jesus fulfills over 300 prophecies. So today when you're struggling for hope, you can look to Jesus and go, God answers prayer. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. Amen. Praise God. So we can find hope in that. When John says here that Jesus ranks before me, he's saying Jesus is over me. He's exalting Jesus when he says that Jesus came before him. Now, it's not physically. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. He's talking about the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus has always preexisted. He was was never created. He always was. He existed with God the Father because he's part of the Trinity. God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. He has been, always is, and always will be. Praise God. And God fulfills his promises so we can set our minds on it. Where do you need to anchor in the promises of God today? Where do you need to anchor on the reality that God is continuing to work today? Hope and hard can coexist, can't they? Hope and hurt can coexist. Read, second, read First Peter. We have been given a living hope, right? But later, a couple verses later, it talks about how God lovingly allows us to be refined like gold in a fire. That doesn't sound pleasant, does it? Sometimes we want the heat to go away, but in God's grace, he's using the heat to refine us to burn away the impurities. But we want to run away from the fire. We want to run away from the heart. And in doing that, we're shortchanging the work of God in our life. We need to lean into the grace in the middle of the heart and let God do his work and trust his promises. That's his grace. His grace gives us the strength to sustain the hard times in life because his grace reveals to us the reality that God is always at work in the difficulties of our life. Praise God for his grace. God continues to provide all your needs. And here's the second anchor for our heart today, for our daily hope, is that God continually lavishes his grace upon me. He continually lavishes and gives us his grace. Verse 16, he continues to talk, John does, and from his fullness, him being Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. Isn't that amazing? I love that phrase. 
you're on Pastor Andrew at all, any bit of time, he'll use that phrase, grace upon grace. It's unending grace. It never runs out. It's we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God continues right now to give his grace to you, to lavish, to bestow, because you are his beloved children. Praise God for that. And Jesus' fullness, that word is pleroma, it's directly connected to the Colossians 1 passage that Nate referred to in worship earlier. It means completeness. It means that every attribute of God that we see in the Old Testament is found in God the Son, Jesus Christ, because he is God. That God's mercy and God's love, that God's justice, all of those things are found fully and completely in Jesus Christ. He lacks Nothing Jesus does. Praise God for that. And from the fullness of God, from the character of God, comes our confidence in the fullness of grace. That God's grace is what we need. Jesus' fullness is our never-ending source of God's amazing grace in every situation, in every season. And not only is Jesus, this text is teaching us the embodiment of the gospel, the fulfillment of God's promises, but he is the explanation of the gospel as we continue here in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That in the Old Testament, as you look at the chronology of God's word and when you look from cover to cover, the thread that God is writing in the greatest love story ever told his word, his redemptive word, his redemptive love, that while we were, he made us in perfect relationship with himself in the garden in Adam. And then sin broke that in Genesis chapter 3. But immediately in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promises that there will one day come a savior, the gospel. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham, says, I will make your name great. I will bless you to be a blessing. So when it comes to generosity, it is to be an overflow of the reality of our relationship with the Lord. So that's an unconditional covenant God makes with Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. You don't even have to do it. I will do it. And then with Moses in Exodus 19, God makes another covenant with Moses. But it's a conditional one. Because God's people, us, well, we don't really keep his commands all the time, do we? This thing called sin. And so God said, if you obey me, if you keep my commands, then I will make you into my people, a treasure people for my possession. It's an if then, it's a conditional covenant. And all the people said, we're in. And it didn't take them long to break that covenant, did it? So God instilled the law. What does the law do? The law cannot save us, but it points us to our need for a savior. The law tells us what is right, God's word. It elevates God's greatness. It tells us what is wrong, our sin. And it tells us what is needed, a savior. Because God in his grace in that moment, even when we were sinning, he made it possible even in the Old Testament by introducing the sacrificial system where a perfect blood sacrifice covered and paid for the sin. So they used animal in the Old Testament. But God's grace, while it was not grace in and of itself, it was a mechanism of grace pointing us to God's law, pointing us to Jesus Christ, right? Who was to come and who will once and forever pay the price for our sin. Praise God for that. The Old Testament law points to the New Testament law, and we now live under the covenant of grace, the new covenant, Christ's covenant. Praise God for that. God's law is beautiful, but we can never fully keep it. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, he says, but to fulfill it. God's law teaches us the reality of God's uncompromising holiness. He will not lower his his demand of perfection for anyone. Praise God for that, amen? Amen. 
but it also teaches us at the same time his unconditional love. God is un- uncompromisingly holy and unconditionally loving at the same time because he knew we couldn't make it on our own. And so he sent his son Jesus to die the death that you and I deserve to pay our price to reconcile our relationship. He lavished his grace upon us with Jesus. That's grace and truth. I love what Warren Wearsby says about grace and truth. He's a teacher, a preacher, a commentary writer. He says, grace without truth would be deceitful. Truth without grace would be condemning. You can't have one or the other. You need both. The truth is that every single one of us is a sinner, right? Raise your hand if you're a sinner. If you ever fall short, yeah. That's truth. And sin has consequences. Even one sin requires a death, a full sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, and it carries with it a death penalty. That's truth. You can't shirk that. You can't hide that. It would be unloving to hide that. But here's another truth, that we are saved by grace through our faith, that God sent Jesus to die for us. That's grace. So grace and truth are married together, that we can't earn it. We can't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation, but God gives us our salvation through his son, Jesus. So we can't bury our head. I'm good enough to get into heaven. No, you're not. I've given enough money. I've done enough good works. None of that will pay the price for your sins. Only Jesus can do that. And that is found fully and completely in and through the love of God and the grace of God. Praise God. Grace and some some people in different religions teach karma. Grace is the opposite of karma, right? Karma is like, you're going to get what you deserve. Grace says, no, you're going to get what you don't deserve. (laughs) Praise God for that. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve God's love, but God gave it to us anyway. And friends today, I pray you're not saved through legalism. You're not saved by doing more, living better. You're only saved by God's grace and it's a gift. Will you trust that today? The hope for us today is that God's grace delivers us from death and it saves us from sin and it adopts us into God's family. More on that on Saturday night on Christmas Eve. I hope you'll come. I'm excited to see what God will do. The third anchor for our soul today is this, is that God has revealed himself and drawn near to me. Look at verse 18 of John chapter one right here. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known now, you, depending on what translation we preach and teach from the ESV here, I know there's a variety of translations here. Different manuscripts actually, where it says the only God there, it actually says the only begotten Son. John is explicitly talking about Jesus Christ right here. Only begotten means unique. He is one of a kind. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only one that can pay the price for your sin and mine perfectly. He is the Messiah. He is preexistent. He is God eternal. He is to be exalted. He is Jesus Christ, the revelation fully of God's character. We get to know God through God the Father, through Jesus Christ, God the Son. Praise God for that. The word, the phrase made known to him is in the Greek, it's where we actually get our word from exegesis from. It's to fully understand, it's to pursue that knowledge and to take out from the truth and learn it and apply it. So we get to know God the Father because he has revealed himself to us through God the Son, Jesus Christ. And he's drawn near to us. If you go back to verse 14, it says that Jesus became the word, Jesus became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson has moved into the neighborhood that God dwells among us. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. The God, the creator of the world, I don't like to hang out with me sometimes. I would get, if I could get away from myself, I would, right? 
but God chose to come near to me when others left me or ran away from me. Praise God, that's hope giving, right? That we have the creator of the world, that Paul in Romans says is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you if you are in faith, if you have given your life to the Lord. Praise God, that's hope giving, that he has drawn near, revealed himself to us, and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you, scripture teaches us. Praise God for that. Whatever crisis you're walking through, God is in it with you and he loves you and he will see you through it. And we can rejoice in that. We can draw near to that, that you're not alone. You might feel alone, but you're not alone. God loves you and he's with you and he continues to draw with you each and every day. Grace upon grace is mercy in my mess. He pursues me when I'm lost. He forgives my sins and he saves my soul. Praise God for that. He covers my costs. That every time I confess my sin, God's grace covers it again and again and again. Praise God for that. Amen. He never tires of forgiving us. May we grow in our confession. So I love to say at Christmas, one of my favorite phrases is that hope is here because Jesus is here. This text is explicitly teaching us that. That we have hope today because Jesus is here. God's grace has been revealed so my relationship with God can be restored. Would you say that with me? Hope is here. Say that with me. Hope is here. Amen. Because Jesus is here. Hope is here. Amen. Jesus is here. So I don't know what you're walking through right now, but there is hope that good things are ahead. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but good is God's good, not your version of good. Sometimes we need to change our perspective on that. So now that we have these anchors, how do we live with this hope? Here are three keys to living with hope on a daily basis. And it all talks about renewing our mind, fixing our focus. It goes to that word that John's gonna, John the Baptist will use a few verses later in, in the Gospel of John, where he says, behold, right? The Lamb of God, that word behold means to fix my eyes. So today, let's do this so we can live with hope today and each and every day this week. Fix my mind on God's promises. What promise do you need to fix on today? In God's word, with your situation that you're walking through, what is the promise of God? We've seen that Jesus is a fulfillment of God, that our hope comes through the reality that God fulfills his promise. What promise in God's word do you need to read, proclaim, meditate, put on your phone, stick it to your mirror, put it on your dashboard so that you see it and are reminded of the truth of God's word this week, amen? Where, what do you need to fix your mind on that God loves you, that he'll meet all of your needs, not your wants, but your needs, that he has not left you, that he'll make a way out for you. Where do you need to fix your mind on God's promises this week? Secondly, where do you need to fix your heart, fix your heart on God's presence? We see in this text that God draws near. Where do you need to fix your heart on the reality that God is near? Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice. And I'll say it again, rejoice because the Lord is near. You know where he is when he writes that? He's in jail. And maybe you feel like you're in jail this morning. You can have hope this morning because God is near. No matter what your circumstances are, even if people feel far away from you, God is near. Fix your heart on God's presence and that will lead you to rejoice. Thirdly, fix your hands on God's purposes. Go about doing the work of the Lord. It's hope giving, isn't it, to love other people? It's more blessed to give than receive, Scripture teaches, so that we can share God's grace and be reminded of God's grace. As I remember God's grace in my life, I am more motivated than ever to give it and reflect it to others because other people need it too, don't they? And what a privilege it is to live out the purpose that God has for me, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
so that I can share the hope. And when I share the hope, I get a little bit more hope-filled myself. But we can't give what we don't have. So we first need to remember the promises of God, remember what God has done for us, fix our, our hearts on the presence of God, and then fix our hands on the purposes of God. On the, where do you need to fix your focus today? Because nothing compares to God's promises. Nothing compares to God's presence. And nothing compares to God's purposes. Where do you need to readjust your priorities? Hope-filled. Remember, God's grace is my source of eternal life. We saw that, that Jesus fulfills the law, eternal life for all, and the enduring hope in every season and situation. God's promises hold true for you today on earth. His presence is very real for you today on earth. And his purposes, his assignment, his mission is very real for you today. The second application of the incarnation is this, finding my daily confidence in God's covenant faithfulness. Jesus is fully God, the play remote. So my, I can have him set my hope on the reality that Jesus is God, that he can do what nobody else can and provide me eternal hope and enduring hope. And I can grab and anchor my daily confidence because in Jesus, in God's covenant faithfulness. My confidence comes from God's unchanging character, not my circum, ever-changing circumstances, right? Circumstances are changing all the time but God's character never, ever changes, ever changes. The beauty of the incarnation and the power of God's grace is that, just, is, is that God's grace is not just my means to access eternity, but it gives me confidence and assurance day to day. God's grace meets you where you are, but it doesn't leave you where you are. Verses 16 and 17, it says, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Now, this is most likely, as John was writing, as he was carried on by the Holy Spirit, a recollection of some Hebrew phrases that meaning uh, steadfast love and faithfulness. It was referring most likely to God's covenant faithfulness to his people. So what John is saying here is that the ultimate expression of God's covenant faithfulness is found in and through his son, Jesus, his, his son, Jesus Christ. That even when, you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, go back to the, specifically the Mosaic covenant, which was a conditional covenant. Even when God's people, like you and I today, nothing has really changed in a lot of ways. Say, yeah, yeah, God, I'll obey. I'll keep that. And guess what they just did? They didn't. They disobeyed. They sinned. Even when we break our promise to God, God never breaks his promise to us. Praise God for that. Amen. And on that, I rest my confidence. Not on anything that I do, but on the reality that even when I am faithless, as Paul wrote to Timothy, God is what? Faithful. God keeps his covenant promises. This text is describing the covenant promise of God that I will send a redeemer. I will send a sacrifice. I will save you. I will bring you back because I love you. Praise God for that. God's grace propels the incarnation. It provides my salvation. I am saved by grace through faith and it produces hope for me in every circumstance and is sufficient for me in every situation. And it continues to fuel my sanctification. Whatever season or situation you're walking through right now, God's grace is sufficient for you. Praise God for that. Second Corinthians chapter 12. God's grace is sufficient for you. And often God needs to allow us to experience weakness so that we can experience his full power. That's grace. We might not like it. We might not even see it in the moment. And maybe you're walking through that situation right now. But when you reflect back on it, and I think we all have those situations that are like, I wouldn't want to go through that again. I wouldn't want to wish it on anybody else. But praise God, I did go through that, right? 
because I can now see God at work and I'm a different person right now than I was if I had not had to go through that circumstance. Praise God for that. God's pro- however, God's promising of, of grace and revelation of grace doesn't negate my personal responsibility to act faithfully and respond obediently and live dependently. Grace upon grace upon grace that is reflected here, which is anchored in the fullness of God, should be expressed in the fullness of our life. God's grace upon grace should speak into how I respond to when I'm wronged, right? It should motivate me. It should guide me how I treat my neighbor. It should anchor me and propel me in how I use my finances. It should lead me in how I use my time. Are you allowing it to do that for you? Godly confidence is not human cockiness or spiritual cockiness. No situation or person is outside the grace of God. No sin that you have committed is too far great that God's grace can't save you. And none of us are too far mature to to understand the reality, to think that we don't need God's grace anymore in our lives. Praise God for that. All you have to do is look at biblical characters, right? All you have to do is look at, look at the stories of Christmas as we go in a second. Look at the story of Joseph. And you're like, which Joseph? Yeah, both. There's more than two, actually, by the way, in the Bible. But maybe you can, ref- maybe you can resonate with both of them. Joseph in the Old Testament, right, was a teenager who had a dream that God would use him in a big way one day. He didn't know what it meant. One day, he was a little arrogant, right? So his brothers decided to backstab him, throw him in a pit, leave him for dead, want to murder him, and ended up selling him into slavery. He then left that, served the Lord faithfully, was falsely accused by someone after Potiphar's wife after resisting temptation, got thrown into a palace, a prison, undeservedly so, where he continued to serve God faithfully. This guy's doing way better than you or I probably would, right? He then loved people in the prison because he was being faithful to God. And you know what? They got out. One of them did. And they forgot about him. Feel forgotten today? Until one day where they needed him. And then long story short, he interpreted some dreams for Pharaoh. And then God used him, Joseph, second in command of Egypt, which really meant he had the second in charge of the entire world, the most authority in a lot of ways to save not just Egypt, but the world from a famine. And one day it brought everybody to Egypt, including his own family. God was working a story of reconciliation. He couldn't even see it. Where one day in Genesis chapter 50, he looked at his brothers and he said, what you intended to harm me, right? God did what? Intended for good to save many people. God is always at work in our hurt and our hard. Grace upon grace. He will sustain you in the hurt. He will sustain you in the hard. And he is at work to make you more like him. And Joseph in the New Testament, Mary's husband, Think about this. You get the news one day and Mary's like, hey, I got to talk to you. And you're like, okay, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be supernaturally pregnant. What? <laughs> and he's like, I don't believe you. And Matthew 1 says he was planning to divorce her. It was actually grace that he didn't have her stoned, which was in his right, within his right. Think about that. All your futures dashed. You, you, you're presuming that you're betrothed. The engaged had cheated on you. And one day God met him in the middle of the night and said, no, this is actually happening, Joseph. Mary will carry the son and you will call him Jesus because he will be the savior of the world and you will call him Emmanuel, God with you. In your heart right now, Joseph, don't neglect the reality that God is with you. Praise God. 
to marry her and be with her. They don't have any relationships with her until after Jesus is born. And he, he got up immediately and he obeyed. The confidence to take the next step of faith is anchored in the assurance of God's grace. Praise God. I don't know what your hurt, I don't know what your heart is, but I know this. What God has called you to or allowed you to walk through, he will be faithful in it and he will be faithful through it. Maybe you're sitting here and go, Pastor, that's great, but you don't know. I've been walking with something for a long, long, long time. Trust me, it's hard for me to wait 40 seconds for something in the microwave to get finished. I struggle with four minutes or 40 minutes or four days. We've got to win four weeks, four months, 40 years. Did you know that the story of the gospel breaks 400, the declaration of Jesus' arrival breaks a 400-year silence of God to his people? It's not that God wasn't working in those times. He was. He was preparing for the greatest thing to come. And I don't know if you feel like God is far or silent to you. Remember that God is with you, but he's working and he hasn't neglected you. He who calls you is faithful, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. I don't know what he's called you to do right now, what he's called you to endure, what he's called you to walk through, but he will surely do it. The good news of God's grace upon grace upon grace is this, that he's always at work for his best in your life, amen? That the same God who heard the prayer of a Baron, Zachariah, and Elizabeth, hears your prayers right now. Isn't that awesome? That the same God who heard the fears of an overwhelmed teenager named Mary hears your prayers right now. That the same God who met the hurting Joseph in his pain and confusion in the middle of the night will meet you now. The same God who went to, to the outcast shepherds will come and will reveal his glory to you right here, right now. The same God who protected the wise men from the danger that laid before them and said, go a different route, will guide your paths right now. The same God who brought the savior of the world to answer the long-term promise and prayer of a man named Simeon in the temple is here to bring salvation and deliverance to you today, right here, right now. Praise God, amen. That's grace. Where in your life do you need God's grace today? God broke through the darkness once and the quiet once, he'll do it again. It's the same God. The same God and the same grace. Our confidence comes in the character of God, not in our circumstances. God was the means then and he is the means now. He is what will, you, he is whatever you need. Might not be what you want, but he's what you need. Hope is here today because Jesus is here today. Everything is possible for you today. Restoration personally, reconciliation. So what's my response? honestly, to trust and obey. What, it, what was Mary's response to the angel Gabriel, right? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me as you say, right? Into the fear, she stepped out in faith. Instead of looking at the obstacles, and there were many that none of us can really comprehend, she looked to the overcomer and said, I trust you. Your grace is enough for me. You've been faithful before. You're the same God and you're going to be faithful right now. Where do you need to do that in your life? 
My confidence is because is in the reality that God always accomplishes purposes in me and then always accomplishes them through me and he provides with me for me everything that I need. God's faithfulness, however, should lead to our faithfulness. Faithful to obey, faithful to follow when it's easy and when it's hard. That's grace, unmerited favor. We are all grace recipients, common grace. My question to you is, have you received saving grace? Have you received the salvation of God as you, by responding in faith? And are you not just a grace recipient, but are you a grace conduit today? Lavishing and showing the same grace that you have received because we want people to see God and not us. Why are you being nice? I don't deserve you to be nice to me. You're right, that's grace. I want to tell you about the one who gave me grace when I didn't deserve it. And I want you to know him too. Grace upon grace. Confident assurance leads to humble, faith-filled action. My charge to you, because it's God's charge, is to live confidently, to walk humbly, and to love faithfully. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to spend the next two or three minutes just in a time of reflection. I'm going to share a couple prompts with you, a handful of them. And in remembering God's grace to you, I pray that you would be open to however God wants to move in you right now. That you would be willing, like Mary, to respond with faithful obedience, however the Lord leads. I don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to prick your heart or bludgeon you with a sledgehammer says, following me right now. But I just pray that you will listen and that you will obey and that you will take action. Today, friends, I don't know. If you have not done so before, out of God's grace in response to him, will you choose to, for the first time, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you need to do that right now to take a step of faith, genuinely? You've never done it before. Do it right now. God's grace is faithful, and he will confess, he will forgive all our sins as we confess them to him. What sins in your life, friends, do you need to confess right now? Maybe they've been hidden for a while. Maybe they just happened last night. But what sin in your heart and your life do you need to allow God to cover and seek him in repentance right now? God will give you the grace. What situation in your life do you need to trust God in right now? You've been fighting for control for too long. And right here, right now, you're going to give it. You're going to lay it down at the foot of the cross. What burden do you need to bring to the cross right now? And so for too long, God, I've been trying to carry this on my own. I've been trying to control the situation or do it or hide it. I can't, I won't, I don't want to. God, please, what do you need to lay down? Where do you need to give up control? What decision do you need to surrender? And say, may it be to me, God, what you want. Forgive me, God, for trying to do it my way. I want to do it your way. Even if it's hard on earth, God, I trust that you're going to refine me and strengthen me through your grace to accomplish it. Friends, what step of faith is God calling you to take today? Where is he asking you to give generously? Embrace kingdom responsibility. To serve faithfully. To live obediently. To embrace biblical community. Stop saying no when you know God is calling you to say yes. I can't. That's kind of the point. God's grace will strengthen you to do it. Where do you just need to stop trying to do it all yourself and, let, and just embrace God's grace? 
embrace the freedom that comes through God's grace and give up the legalism? What commitments do you need to make today? Where do you need to get accountability? Where do you need to allow things in your life to come to the light? Truth and grace go hand in hand. Bring it to the light and let God's grace cover it. Who do you need to pursue in your life? Maybe it's a a person to share the grace of God with. Maybe you need to invite somebody to coffee. I don't got time. Make time. Because you're the conduit of grace that that person needs that God sent to share and show his life-changing love with. What is more important than that? The grace of God is life-changing. Where do you need to ask for help today? Get over the pride of trying to do it yourself. Where do you need to open up your heart to start loving again? I'm tired of people leaving. I don't want to stop. I, don't, I'm, I want to protect myself from loving. No, where do you need to go all in? Grace is loving. It's love, love, love. Where do you just need to give up control and say, God, take it? Who have you stopped praying for? Because it's been too long and you haven't seen movement that you need to start praying for again. Because our God can and our God will. What situations are you doubting the power of God in? Where do you need to stop making excuses and start embracing biblical obedience? Hope is not in ourselves today, friends, but it's in our Savior. God's grace is the means, it's the source of our eternal life and our daily Amy's going to continue to play here, and I'm just going to let you have 30 seconds or so with the Lord, and then we'll close in prayer and respond in a song. Heart of grace is reconciliation, vertical and horizontal. Who in your life do you need to forgive today? Who in your life do you need to seek forgiveness from today? Is there a relationship that has been frayed for too long that you need to take another step in today and trust God's grace with it? Let God's grace cover it. Elevating the gospel in it that Jesus is more than what, uh, Jesus is greater than whatever tried to divide us. As a testimony to the power of God's grace, we need to seek reconciliation horizontally. And maybe you need to seek it vertically. But is there a relationship that you have not done everything in your possible power to seek peace and to live at peace? I've done this, I've done it, but have you done everything? Is there a conversation that needs to be had today? A phone call, a visit, an email. This is the hope of Christmas. You can't control what others do or don't do. 
we can control the responsibility that God has given us to be a grace conduit and to be a living testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's grace. Because the display of confidence in God through his grace is obedience to God through his grace and for his gospel. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you are at work in our hearts and lives, that you are the same God. The same God who was and is to come. God, we worship you and we adore you and we look to you right now. Thank you for your grace, lavishing it unmeritedly. We don't deserve it, God. But we thank you for it and we praise you for that. And as an overflow of that, may we give everything to you. Our words, our actions, our time. May we pursue you as a living testimony, God. God, strengthen us and send us through your grace to be a demonstration of your grace, grace upon grace. Trust us, fill us, renew us, refresh us again, God. Thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. In your name we pray, amen.